0: We are studying Hebrews chapter 6 here on the Radio Bible Course, and we welcome you to this study. If you have your Bibles, follow along with us. We've been discussing this very difficult passage that talks about people falling away and the inability to restore them back to repentance. And we pointed out that surely these are Christians who fell. They fell back to Judaism. They haven't rejected Christ, they are instead relying on what the writer denies, that the blood of bulls and goats could take away sin. But he denies that the blood of bulls and goats can take away sins, and he has, in this book, exalted Jesus Christ above angels, above the high priest, above Moses, and above the Judaistic system. The problem with some of the Hebrew Christians was that they fell back to Judaism. Now, in verses 7 through 12, the writer illustrates what is expected of believers. And he writes in verse 7, For land which has drunk the rain that often falls upon it and brings forth vegetation useful to those for whose sake it is being cultivated receives a blessing from God. But if it bears thorns and thistles, it is worthless and near to being cursed. Its end is to be burned. Here, in this agricultural setting, he is showing that you expect something from cultivated land. But if you don't get crops after cultivating land and planting seed then you probably will get thorns and thistles. And, making an application, the writer gives us in verse 9 this statement, Though we speak thus, yet in your case, beloved, we feel sure of better things that belong to salvation. So his expectation of these Hebrews is that although they are looking back at values in the Judaistic system And not trusting Christ fully, as they were taught to do by the gospel, he expects better things. And he says, that belong to salvation. Then he adds this, for God is not so unjust as to overlook your work and the love which you showed for his sake in serving the saints, as you still do. Now, this confirms again that verses 4 through 6 is speaking of believers, and it supplements what is written in verse 9. Now, here, in verse 10, he talks about the labor. God is not so unjust to overlook your labor or your work, and the love which you showed for his sake. I think that's a poor translation now in the Revised Standard Version, for the Greek doesn't say... The love which you showed for his sake, it says, the love which you showed to his name. Now, they did service to God out of pure hearts. The New Testament church helped the poor. And remember how Paul was told by the apostles to remember the poor. Now, consider this. How many Christians do you know who are laboring for Christ and have love in serving the saints, not many. One of the greatest problems we face in the church is that people do not love. The new commandment is not being carried out. Jesus gave a new commandment to his disciples just before his crucifixion and he said, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another as I have loved you. By this shall all men know that you are my disciples. If you have love, one for another. Now, these Hebrew Christians were doing that, but they apparently had this weakness and thought that the Jewish law would help them also. But they were serving, and it says, serving the saints. What's a saint? That's the New Testament word for believers. It emphasizes their separate status in the world from unbelievers. How did early Christians serve the saints? Well, one of the problems was that Christians were discriminated against. After all, living in the land of Israel, where there's one religion and it's the same as the government, what happens to a person when he leaves that religion and becomes a believer in Jesus Christ? He is not only persecuted, but there's an economic boycott against him. There was also a famine in the land. And the early Christians took up collections to help the poor. These Hebrew Christians must have been among those who helped the saints in those days. Now, we read about those collections in the book of Acts and also Corinthians. And those collections were always taken for the poor, never for a preacher, never for a building or a program. The early Christian Jews, remember, were cut off from other Jews, because they believed. And the ones who were living in Jerusalem were dependent upon help from believers elsewhere. And Paul was at the forefront of those collections. He never collected money for himself, but he sure was interested in collecting it for the poor saints. And so he wrote in his First Corinthian letter, chapter 16, now concerning the contribution or the collection for the saints. As I directed the churches of Galatia, so you also are to do. On the first day of every week, each of you is to put something aside and store it up as he may prosper, so that the contributions need not be made when I come. And when I arrive, I will send those whom you accredit by letter to carry your gift to Jerusalem. Now, he didn't ask the people to tithe. Paul had nothing to do with the law of Moses. He told them that they could make a contribution as God had prospered them. Now, who's going to decide how God has prospered a person? That person alone, not someone else. Watch out for people who tell you how much you ought to give. Such a practice is not biblical. Now, in verse 11, he writes, And we desire each one of you to show the same earnestness in realizing the full assurance of hope until the end, so that you may not be sluggish, but imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. In other words, he's saying to these Hebrew Christians, As you help the saints, we want to see the same zeal or earnestness until you get to where we are all headed. Now, where are they headed? What's their hope? He talks about the full assurance of hope, realizing that. What's the hope? The coming of Jesus, the one who will come out of heaven and take us to himself. Now, we easily forget in the busyness of life that heaven is our destiny. God didn't leave us here on this earth to change the world. We're not interested in changing something that we're going to leave God has us here so we can announce the good news to other men so they too can enter the church of Jesus Christ and have eternal life. Now, whether we have been shattered by a death or someone's betrayal, whether we have been staggered by financial losses or some other disappointment, in the long run, these problems are of very little importance. They're of no eternal importance. These things trouble us here, but we who believe will leave these things behind. Now, you may be stunned by failure to achieve a major goal in your pursuit of advancement in work, education, or some other activity, but this is of only temporary importance in relation to our hope. We are going to spend eternity with Jesus Christ. He is our hope. When a person loses all hope and the will to live, it suggests that our hope has been tied to this life, not to the wonderful promises of the next one. If heaven were our focus, we would not be shaken by personal tragedies here. That's why Christians need to be with Christians and need to exhort one another. That's the way you can grow in the faith. Church membership ought to mean that you will come under teaching of the Word of God that exhorts you to live for God and to have hope in Christ. And if you're in a church where you're not being taught the Bible and not being encouraged to live for Jesus Christ, then you need to find another church. If you're not in a Bible class, you ought to get in one. That's where you'll get exhortation from the Word of God. But make sure it's not a gossip class. It ought to be a gospel class. Where the word of God is discussed, Jesus Christ, is our hope. Now, the encouragement that the writer has given these Hebrews up to this point is supplemented by what comes next, beginning with verse 13. And this is a strong, strong passage about how men can trust God. Verse 13 reads, For when God made a promise to Abraham... Since he had no one greater by whom to swear, he swore by himself, saying, Surely I will bless you and multiply you. And thus Abraham, having patiently endured, obtained the promise. Men indeed swear by a greater than themselves, and in all their disputes an oath is final for confirmation. So, when God desired to show more convincingly to the heirs of promise, the unchangeable character of his purpose, he interposed with an oath, so that through two unchangeable things, in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have fled for refuge might have strong encouragement to seize the hope set before us. We have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul, a hope That enters into the inner shrine behind the curtain, where Jesus has gone as a forerunner on our behalf, having become a high priest forever, after the order of Melchizedek. The context here is dealing with God's promise. A promise is no better than the promiser. Notice, for when God made a promise to Abraham, since he had no one greater by whom to swear, he swore by himself saying, Surely I will bless you and multiply you. God did not need to say all that, but he knew that Abraham, just like us, had doubts. He could have said, I will bless you, Abraham. But instead he said, Surely I will bless you. And that was an oath. And he took an oath on his own name. Why? Why? to convince Abraham that he would do what he promised to do. So this section of Hebrews 6 dwells on the character of God. Can we believe God? Will he do what he promised to do? Well, we know God can. Most people will concur. They'll say, of course God can, but will he do what he promised? You see, they have a certain doubt that God is as gracious as the Bible proclaims him to be. Paul's epistle to Titus says this, God, who cannot lie, promised eternal life. Now, we'll analyze this promise of God in our program tomorrow. I hope you'll join me here. Some people say they can't believe in Jesus because they don't believe the Bible that tells them about Jesus. Are the scriptures reliable? What did Jesus believe about Sodom and Gomorrah being destroyed? About a fish swallowing a prophet named Jonah? And about a great flood and an ark? These problems are answered in our course called The Authority of the Bible. It will tell you what Jesus believed about these and many other things in the Bible. The Authority of the Bible is listed in our Teaching Takes brochure which will tell you how you can order The Authority of the Bible right today. Ask for our teaching tapes brochure. It's free. Until tomorrow, this is Nick Calavota reminding you that the word gospel means good news. Our address is Radio Bible Courses, Post Office Box 14916, Baton Rouge, Louisiana, 70898. The website is rbcword.org.